You're listening to Be Health Connected, a podcast by the St. Louis Area Business Health Coalition. Your host for today's episode is Annie Fitzgerald, BHC Manager of Wellbeing Strategy and Health Solutions. Hello, I'm Annie Fitzgerald, and thanks for listening to another episode of the BHC's Be Health Connected podcast. Managers have a dramatic impact, either positive or negative, on workplace factors such as job satisfaction, employee turnover, organizational performance, and employee well-being. But when faced with an employee mental health concern, many managers feel uncomfortable and ill-prepared to be attentive and responsive. When managers are uncertain about their role in employee well-being, organizations face a major barrier to supporting a mentally healthy workplace culture. Joining me today to discuss how employers can equip their leaders with skills to navigate the rising mental health concerns of employees is Dr. Dustin Keller, Vice President of Clinical Strategy with Pathways at Work. Welcome, Dr. Keller. Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me today. Excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you as well. Can you provide a quick quick introduction into your background, a little bit about yourself? Sure, definitely. Uh, I'm located in Nashville, Tennessee, have a PhD in psychology, licensed as a professional counselor, have over 20 years in helping businesses and organizations understand the impact of mental health on their employees, um, and, and also seeing clients myself um, individually and in group settings, uh, and excited to be here today to talk about managers and what they can do to impact their employees' mental health. Well, that's great. Again, we're, we're so excited to have you and and clearly you're a leader in this space. So, so we're eager to hear um, you know, your perspective on how managers can, can impact mental well-being. Um, you know, we stated in our introduction that managers can both positively and negatively impact their employees. Can you elaborate on what the research tells us about this dynamic? Most definitely. You know, when we come to work, we spend more waking hours with the people that we work with than those we choose to go home to and live with. You know, we spend eight to nine and some of us maybe 10 hours a day in in sort of the work setting. So it's really important that we have a job that motivates us and and we really want to get up and go to work in the morning. And our managers really set that dynamic. What we know is 75 over probably over 75% at this point, because this is pre-pandemic kind of research, but at least 75% of folks quit a job because of the boss. And the interesting thing is, if you don't like the people that you work around, so your coworkers, um, you blame your boss for not managing that. So it all leads back to your manager, your boss. And so if that person is emotionally available and emotionally aware, so that sort of emotional intelligence idea, if they're able to regulate and manage their own emotions, then they can help their employees do the same. And so it's a lot about being in the moment. It's a lot about being there and listening. Um, I don't think anybody um, really likes a micromanager or sort of a dictator in any sense in in a work relationship. So you want to have someone that is more like a coach, someone who's keeping the ball in play and helping you do your job successfully. Because in, in my, what I tell my folks um, all the time that I have the fortune to supervise, my job is to make their life easier. I have no reason to exist if they don't exist. So my job is to, to support them and to, to help them. And so that's that's how I see it for, from a leader's perspective is, is my job is to make their job easier because I love my job and I want them to love theirs. 
You know, you mentioned um, the importance of emotional intelligence. How is emotional intelligence defined and why is it so vital to developing a mentally healthy workplace culture? Definitely. So I think emotional intelligence came about probably uh, around 30 years ago, something like that. And I think from a from a place of work, uh, we just have recently really starting to, to, to think about how this is really important across the board. So we've always seen this in certain kind of uh, larger corporations where folks have been brought in to do speeches and to help the organization grow. What we're finding now is that even the smaller organizations need to teach, especially their frontline and mid-level managers, emotional intelligence. So like at Pathways at Work, we're happy to come in and work with your company and teach sessions around how to how to how to uh, gain emotional intelligence, what it is. And so just, just on the bare bones, you think it's, it's sort of what we teach young children initially. We teach them how to recognize their emotions, how to manage their emotions, how to regulate their emotions, and how to use those emotions and how to, and how to recognize them in others. You know, we want people to see when someone else is hurt or sad or mad or happy. And so we teach them at a young age. But when we become leaders, it's sort of like even myself, we forget that those are, are, are um, important skills that I should use to help manage and regulate my team. So the more that I can recognize what's going on with them emotionally and the more that I can manage my emotions so I'm not blowing up on them or blowing back at them, then, then the healthier our team will be, the healthier we'll be as a group. And, and interestingly, the more productive we'll be. And I think some managers sort of get into this trap that if, if I become vulnerable and open myself up emotionally, then the team will take advantage of me. You know, they're always going to come in with a problem. Well, my son's sick. My daughter, you know, broke her leg or I have to do this or I'm sick or my um, my parents need to, to go to the doctor or I need to help them buy a house. What You know, there's just there's a whole lot that's happened. And I think during the pandemic, especially, we sort of shifted our sense of purpose. You know, prior to the pandemic, about 80 percent of our purpose in life was really related to work really related to what we do at work. That was that's sort of a lot of people's identity. And during the pandemic, we realized it didn't really have to be that way. We could have purpose outside of work and purpose in work. And so it's more 50-50 or 60-40. We definitely have shifted. And so that's where we're getting all these terms like quiet quitting and people not wanting to just invest their whole selves totally immersed in work. It doesn't mean they're not still a great employee. And it doesn't mean that the employer isn't going to get productive um, productive work out of them and make a great work product, whatever that is. But it just means that my whole identity isn't this job. My identity is also my family and the things I like to do outside of work. So being a manager who fully understands that and also um, sets the stage by doing it themselves, they're going to find that they're going to have a more loyal, devoted, and productive workforce. You know, it's so interesting you bring up the concept of, you know, these these ideas of, of being emotionally intelligent are taught to us at a young age. And then it's, it's kind of you reach a certain age and they think, oh, you should already know that. But really, it sounds like it's a skill that kind of develops over time, and it's something that needs to be re needs to be reinforced, especially for those those leaders in our workforce. So, so really interesting. Um, are there other trickle down effects to having an emotionally intelligent workforce um, and and emotionally intelligent leaders in an organization? 
Most definitely. I think one of the things we find, to, to your point, Annie, about having to exercise this muscle over and over and over. I mean, even just because you're a CEO or like me, a vice president in a company, you still have to work this muscle and you still have to be um, cognizant that you're working this muscle and you're you're trying new things out. We're always learning. But I would say, you know, when, when someone typically gets promoted into a frontline manager or a mid-level manager, it's typically because they were really good at the job. And so for a long time, we've had this idea that I can be really good at my job and, and, and the manager will look at me and go, well, if he's this good at it, then he could probably teach others how to be this good at it. And so just doing a certain job well doesn't necessarily make a great manager. And so then it's so then when we do that and it doesn't work out, then people want to know what what should we look for? And it really is looking for those people who have a high emotional intelligence, who take care of their team, even are leading where they are. I think that's a huge important point, that they're helping the team be successful, even when they're not in a traditional leadership role. And so when we see leaders who are emotionally intelligent, they're championing or cheerleading others within the agency, even non-leaders or just frontline. And, and, and I'm a big believer in we're all leaders and we're all followers. Um, but in this sense, supervisor to, to sort of frontline, when we see that they're coaching and, and supporting and motivating and pushing the folks who are sort of leading from where they are, um, then, we, then we build this culture of leadership and people feel, um, they feel motivated, they feel valued as a part of the company. And so when we do that, they become more loyal. And one of the things we found over the past 20 years is that loyalty to a company is not the, the way it was 50, 60, 70 years ago, where people would start at a company, you treat them well, and they'll stay with you. Um, we're less likely to do that now. We're more than likely going to move around to where our passions lie and where we feel motivated. So the more that we can can um, help people see what the purpose in the company is, um, what, what we're doing, building culture in, in that sense. Um, and the more that we have this sort of culture, people are willing to stay. It's sort of intoxicating and people want more of it. So I think that's really some of the trickle down effects when we talk about emotional intelligence is you really, it leads to loyalty, which is something that we have to cultivate these days. You know, that concept you mentioned of leading where you are is so interesting to me. And it's, it's you know, as you mentioned, building, you know, a full organization full of leaders. Um, and so how are some other organizations that you work with helping their leaders at all of those levels gain these skills and apply them on a daily basis? Well, Annie, I think there's a, a lot of different ways that you can, you can achieve this. And I think a multi-tiered approach or a, a an approach that includes multiple options is the best because we all know that people, you know, it takes what seven times before someone hears the message. You have to, they have to hear it seven times, sort of like in the advertising world that applies to us at work as well uh, in some sense. So for, for like us at pathways at work, we're happy to come in and do some coaching with the senior leaders and do some consulting with the senior leaders to talk about what's going on in their company. We want to learn really what, 
what's the culture? What's the language? We want to feel like we, we fit in like a Lego piece. We want to connect with the company so that we can be highly customized in what we're doing. Because if an agency does one thing really well, we don't want to start at the ground floor and sort of um, just blast them or fire hose them with things that they're already doing well. We really want to hit on the points that um, they could use some help or assistance. So first, it starts with sort of the coaching and consulting with senior leaders, or um, usually we work with HR as well to talk about what what the employee base looks like, what the leadership looks like. Next would be to do some general um, coaching sessions or or training sessions around the topic. So for emotional intelligence, teaching them what it looks like, teaching them how to use it, maybe in the session role play, how to have conversations or talk about some of the roadblocks and how we can overcome those roadblocks with emotional intelligence. I mentioned that sometimes people feel like they're going to get taken advantage of. And so helping them from an emotional standpoint or a mental health well-being standpoint, overcome that roadblock. And then sort of at the more granular level, having some small group sessions to really work with the leaders and giving them an opportunity to uh, have lots of discussion and ask lots of questions and really get to understand this topic and, and role play this topic and coach this topic out. So really working to not only just teach them what it is, but giving them some opportunity to practice these skills in a safe space with someone who's trained uh, in this topic. And so that's where we found lots of success. And the interesting thing, as I mentioned before, Andy, is it's not just at certain companies. We're talking about technology companies, construction companies, banking companies, all across the specter um, in the U.S. We're working with companies and seeing great success. We're improving their company's retention. We're improving, um, you know, the use of sick time or the use of vacation time, because part of Part of what we think about, especially in emotional intelligence, is you can't just have vacation time and assume that that creates a healthy workforce. It's about being nimble enough that we allow people the time off that they need to rest and recharge or the time away from work where they get a nighttime or a weekend um, so that they can really rest and recharge and come back ready to give more to company. Well, and, you know, I think one of the, the main things you mentioned was giving um uh, individuals that an, an employer the opportunity to practice their skills. You know, they, they go through these training sessions, they learn them, and then then give them the opportunity to practice. And I think that goes back to what you mentioned about, you know, allowing employees to flex their muscles to make sure that they're maintaining that level of an emotional intelligence. So I would imagine, you know, this kind of concept of, of doing this training and, and, and allowing them to practice is something that employers should also think about implementing on an ongoing basis, not just one time and say, you know, we've done this training once and now we're done. It needs to really be incorporated into, you know, an employer's uh, professional development strategy and, and something that's provided to their, to their employees on an ongoing basis. Would you, would you agree with that? Totally agree. I think, you know, when we look at this from a wellness or benefit idea, you know, we've, we've, I think uh, Ford was probably one of the first that came up and said, look, we need to give employees some benefits. And one of the first things that came about was health insurance and then, you know, sort of paid leave, paid time off and then sick leave. And, and over the last 50 years, we've seen sort of trends come and go. There's organizations that have a vacation pool and a sick pool. And then we saw organizations kind of combine that, just use your time however you want. Um, And then we have organizations that close during dead parts of the year, which is extra time off or slow parts of the year. 
lots of lots of innovative benefit designs in in sort of the physical health space and sort of time away from work. But what we're really seeing right now, um, which has really started a little bit pre-pandemic, but but the pandemic really highlighted our need for self-care and mental health well-being. And so now we're seeing lots of companies and lots of brokers look at options for mental health, well-being, and wellness. You know, we look at these deep-end services, sort of like health insurance or an EAP, where if I really get in trouble and need to talk with someone individually, I can do that. But if we look at the physical health side, you know, it, it hasn't been that many years ago that we decided that maybe just going for a physical and encouraging your employees to go for a physical would be a major boost to their physical wellness, plus the company's bottom line. We save money on health insurance if I can get you checked out once a year to keep you on track. Well, that's just an interesting concept. And now companies are building out programs around that, that if you'll do that, we'll bonus you money, give you a gift card, have all of these kind of programs where I incentivize you to do that. But what we've what we've started to realize, especially pre-pandemic, is our mental health and self-care is just as important. Because Andy, you know, during the during the the, the kind of crux of the pandemic where things were locked down, we weren't getting to do the things that we ordinarily do to take care of ourselves from a mental health or mental well-being perspective. You know, the concerts, the dinner with friends and family, the sporting events, just getting out and go. I love to shop, especially this time of year, Christmas shopping. I love to get out there and shop. I'm a, I'm a big shopper. You couldn't do that. I could, you know, th so those are the kind of things and I kind of liken it to sunscreen. Those are the sunscreen things that we do on a regular basis to kind of recharge ourselves. Well, the pandemic showed how important those kind of ideas are, because when we didn't get to do it, our stress started rising and then depression set in. And then what we thought was burnout set in. So we saw lots of people, you know, the great resignation. And by and large, what the research is showing is we weren't burned out with work. We were just burned out in life. We were burned out with the pandemic. And so we need those kind of self-care things. And we're starting to see that trend kind of turn that, turn back around because we're getting to do a lot of those things. So the more that an, an employer can incentivize a, an employee taking care of themselves, I'll go back to they're going to be a loyal employee. They're going to work harder and be more invested in the company. So benefit programs that allow for an employee to learn how to take care of their wellness. So like at Pathways at Work, we're happy to come in and talk about stress and anxiety because we feel like that's foundational to work-life balance, burnout, all the things we're seeing. It all starts with how we manage garden variety, stress, and anxiety, but coming in and teaching employees how to do this and, and giving some sessions around that. And then there's a whole host of other types of benefits that, um, um, that may be app-based or other things that employee, employers can do to really incentivize wellness. I know some employees are you know, helping give self-care days, things like spa days or massages. And, and, and to some companies, I'm sure that seems sort of hokey, um, but when you look at the when you look at the data and you look at what's happening, you see that employees are are, are more invested and and more productive and and more into uh, and motivated by the employer when when they get these things than not. And I think that's really where we're headed. And I think if you're not leaning into this, then you're missing the mark. It's one of those things. This is not a time to stand still. Standing still means we're losing ground and moving backwards and we want to be forward. And, and this is a bus you should definitely get on because people are expecting it, much like people now expect you to have health insurance and time off. This is a benefit that people are starting to expect. 
Definitely. No, we, we couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, we really appreciate your, your insights today, Dr. Keller. And as we close our episode, are there any parting thoughts that you'd like to leave with our audience? That certainly, we, we'd love to come talk to you and uh, talk to you about your, your company. Uh, we'll give free consultations if you want to reach out to Pathways at Work. But again, I just think it's extraordinarily important that we start to think about an employee's well-being and wellness. It's an old idea that employees can leave their personal life at the door when they come to work and vice versa, leave their work life at work when they go home. We are starting to realize that people are holistic. They're, they're all together. You get them however they are, no matter what they're dealing with or what they're struggling with, work-wise or personal. And the more that we understand that and the more that we lean into that and the more that we value that and encourage that to some extent, those are the businesses that are going to thrive and survive. Um, thank you to Annie for uh, um, allowing us on the podcast today. I hope this has been beneficial to your listeners and hope that we can come back soon. Thank you for listening to the Be Health Connected podcast. For additional episodes or to learn more about employer resources available through the St. Louis Area Business Health Coalition, please visit www.stlbhc.org.